so we have we have launched has anything remarkable happened in your life have you had any requests from oprah to come on board or or, or andrew bolt <laughs> not yet not yet um i can't say that i'm looking forward to the andrew bolt invitation but no 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 big changes i don't think what about you gonna we've we had we've had uh 50 downloads by now 50 five zero awesome i actually think this is good um but so here's what happened we are sitting at home and you know we're five we're sitting at home at dinner and one of my daughters asked me so what so how's the podcast going you have already recorded your second one i said yeah we did today and which is how many downloads you know they live in yeah in the tiktok world where that's a measure of success yeah if you don't have if you don't have in the millions you know it, yeah that that doesn't count as it we have 50 downloads they, but they all said oh yeah well you know that's that's not too bad and i said well the problem you know if you think about it 50 but five of them are sitting right here at the dinner table and there's this quiet, this silence falling over the, over the table. And they, all, <laughs> they look at each other and they say, until one of them says, I didn't download it. Yeah. Me neither. I didn't either. <laughs> and my wife says, well, you made me listen to it in the car, so I didn't download it either. <laughs> so I'm going, great support here. I guess it's it's good news because yeah. there's five more people who downloaded it. Yep. Not my family. Yep. That's all. <laughs> so... Um, did you download it or did you get it on our server? I think I'm probably one of those downloads, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't say that my wife is one of the downloads yet either. I think she listens to me talking up at home. Well, you have, you have three under three. Three under three. Three boys yeah. under three. Mm-hmm. She's forgiven. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She's got lots of other things on her hands. All right, so, so today um, we are talking to Phil Hibbs. Phil and I met, I think it was 1997, he... I was working at the then State Rail Authority. We were selling heaps of land to prepare for the Sydney Olympics. And he was one of the people we worked with. Now, Phil has moved on to build a an impressive business. Um, he, has an, he has fantastic people working with him. He's very, very generous with his time. Um, he's also constantly trying to help advance the industry. He sits on all sorts of committees. He does reviews of standards. He has done the, he was an integral part in the ALGA uh, position paper on asbestos in soils. He's a very science and data-driven guy, and he says what needs to be said. So it's, it's like he's the perfect guest for us here. Yeah, a straight talker. He's definitely a straight talker, although you, you, can, you have never met before. Let's just straight dive into the interview with him. James and, and Phil, have you guys ever met? I, I don't believe we have, James. I don't think I've, no. we've ever met in person. Not in person. I think we've spoken a few times, but not in person, no. Yeah. Okay. Good to put a face to the name. <laughs> what a horrible well, thought. Well, <laughs> no, you're all right, mate. Look, I, I came back from Adelaide yesterday and because there was a fluorinated hydrocarbon conference down there. I heard someone being introduced, and I'm going to do the same thing to you now because the guy said, look, currently we have all sorts of rock stars in Sydney. We have, we have Pink here. We have Taylor Swift here. I'm talking to a different kind of rock star because, Phil, you are, in in many people's eyes, a an OH&S and Asbestos rock star. I'm so happy to have you. I couldn't get the other two, so I thought it might be a great idea that you, you talk about asbestos. Happy to do that. And pretty good uh, analogy there because asbestos is a rock. We dig it out of the ground. 
just the same as we dig iron ore or bauxite out of the ground. Mm -hmm. What we hear about in the in the media at the moment is uh, there's bonded and then there's non-bonded. Please explain. Well, bonded, as the name might imply, is that the asbestos is chemically bonded into a matrix. Most of the material that we've got as bonded is asbestos cement sheet. It was manufactured for many, many years in Australia and used very extensively throughout uh, all Australian states. But um, but in Western Sydney, there's a the fibro belt out there where there are literally thousands of uh, homes that were built out of uh, asbestos cement sheet or it's what was commonly referred to as fibro. But the asbestos is bonded within the matrix it, it cannot easily become airborne unless you do something to rupture the matrix like drill holes in it or run a power source through it friable material the uh the definition of friable in the legislation is that it uh, can be crushed and broken up using hand pressure when dry but the point about friable materials are that they're soft generally contain a higher percentage of asbestos and they very they quite easily release asbestos fibres in significant numbers uh, when they're disturbed, whereas the bonded products do not. I mean, asbestos is a, a really cool product because when it's in its bonded form, it makes, makes walls extremely sturdy, water-resistant, rather fire-resistant, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't rot, it's a, it's a phenomenal product. Look, uh, look, Asbestos has got a unique combination of chemical and, and physical properties that uh, at one time uh, lent it to a, a, an incredibly diverse range of applications. And it's been used in many thousands of different materials. The problem is that uh, the, the very properties of asbestos that make it industrially useful also contribute to its uh, potential to cause disease. Uh, and, and that's through inhalation of respirable fibres. And essentially respirable fibres are those fibres that are very small, they're too fine to see, and they get down into the lungs, into the gas exchange regions of the lungs where they do damage. I was going to say, I find yeah. it really interesting um, that it's the same with lead and PFAS and a whole bunch of other things that we deal with it in that they're extremely useful compounds or elements, you know, components of things are extremely useful. And that's why they've become so widespread. It's just that they've got yeah. this dark side when they're not, you know, managed correctly. Um, but yeah, they can cause all sorts of health impacts. So I just find that really interesting. I think some people wonder why this stuff is everywhere. Um, and that's just the reason why, is it was extremely useful. Well, in the Western world, it was used for, for well over 100 years, as I said, in thousands of different products. And it's only as we become uh, became aware of the, um, the hazards associated with exposure to asbestos or the you know, from the, the risk of developing asbestos-related diseases, that it became unpopular, was phased out and eventually banned. It was from the 31st of January 2003, it was banned in Australia. All right. So asbestos fibres, brilliant building material in, in, in many ways. Uh, I remember in the 70s and 80s, Formula One drivers had hoodies out of asbestos. Asbestos suits, fire suits, yes. Yes, incredibly yes. versatile material, but it's also, um, it, it, as I said, it's unfortunate that it's got these very severe uh, adverse health effects, which result from exposure to and inhalation of airborne respirable fibres. So what happens? 
Oh, well, there are three principal diseases. The first is asbestosis, which is a scarring of the gas exchange regions of the lungs. So they form scar tissue in there. They don't, that does not work as well. So you end up with um, uh, people being breathless. That That is an incredibly um, a, a simplified explanation. Uh, the next one is uh, bronchogenic carcinoma, which is uh, lung cancer, identical to and indistinguishable from that caused by the smoking of tobacco products. Uh, and then the third is um, mesothelioma, which is a, um, a cancer of the internal lining of the chest and the outside lining of the lungs, the, the pleura. Uh, and it's also um, less, occurs less frequently in the peritoneum, which is the lining of the abdomen. Hmm. For, for asbestos to get into lungs of, of humans, it has to become airborne. Yes. Um, you said that bonded material is, the the, uh, the asbestos fibers are, hey, guess what? They are bonded. Is, They're chemically bonded uh, within the matrix of the product, uh, which means that it's very much harder to release respirable uh, asbestos fibers uh, in, in significant quantities. And I think the mm -hmm. point that we have to focus on is that the fibers have to be respirable. They've got to be sufficiently small that they can become airborne and then they can be breathed in or inhaled and get into the lungs. So the material we found, James, maybe you, you're the better one here. What was found is mostly bonded. Is that, am I right here? Yeah, all, all except one, I think. Were yep, bonded. That's my understanding also, James. All but one has been bonded, and I don't I don't know. I have no details about the friable material that was identified. I'd be very keen to find out what that was to make sure it wasn't a uh, misidentification as friable, but uh, yes. asbestos has been bonded, a bonded product. What do you have to do to, to a piece of bonded asbestos to, you, to release fibres? Well, you have to, to grind it up, concern. break it up machine it in some way, do something that ruptures the matrix and releases the fibers. By children playing on the playground, stepping on it, even that isn't, is that a concern? Well, there's great concern in the community about this perceived health risk from exposure to airborne respirable asbestos fibers. We're talking about uh, levels of ACM that are exceedingly low. They're, they're being found one or two chips of cement sheet in large quantities of mulch. So essentially, there is simply not enough bonded material present in this mulch that it mm. will ever pose a measurable risk to human health. Could could we go to a couple of things there, Phil? So <clears throat> I'd like to talk about air monitoring and sort of the, the relationship between bonded ACM in soil and you know free fibres in the air and whether any of that work's being done. But maybe first, when we talk about the quantity of material, the safe level that's identified in the NEPM of 0.01%, Could you give us some information about how that was determined? Is that connected to the levels of fibres that are likely to be mobilised into the air? I'm, I'm, I can't exactly tell you where the, that 0.01% has come from, other than the fact that 0.01% is the reporting limit of the Australian standard AS4964. It's essentially the, the standard for analysing asbestos in bulk samples. There may well be asbestos at lower concentrations than that, but we can't measure it below that level. So we, can, we might be able to find it, but it doesn't mean that we can actually quantify how much there is present. I think I know where that level comes from, actually. There is a paper, and I'm, I'm looking... I remember hearing about this at a talk. Remember the um, the EPA did a talk. Um, it was a couple, a few years back now, I think, 
And th that's that's what I was thinking of too, Gunnar. There was a study, I think, that was done where they looked at, you know, ran lawnmowers and, and all sorts of things over soil that had ACM in it. Um, and yes. they were looking at the, the measured um, mobilization of fibers into the air. And I, I think that it, that's where the number came up, something to do with that. Well, there was that, that, from... you know, that Addison study, but that's quite a long time ago. And, there, and there's a couple of others as well. Um, Swartje and Torn? Swartjes and Tromp. That is the one that is constantly referred to. And in the, I think in the NEPM, it says that this is the default paper that was used. However, the level in there was 0.1. And it was then decided by the uh, committee to multiply that level or to divide it by 10, a factor of 10, 10 to well, account for Australian dry conditions. That's right. And sandier soils here. Uh, so it was really written for the West, where you've got sandy soils, much drier soils, and that's why they reduced it by a, uh, a factor of tenfold. But is there any definitive relationship between the level of bonded asbestos in soil and what you could expect in the air? No, there's too many variables. And so I guess that takes me to the other point. So we're hearing a lot about the um, the material that's within the mulch. Are you aware of any air monitoring that's being conducted at these sites? No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not no, I don't think I don't it. think there has been uh, any air monitoring that's been done. I think that um, people are just saying, "Well, it's contaminated; it has to go." Now, we talked about this before, Gunnar, in relation to yeah, you know, like there is a level that's permitted in the um, the CLM Act. Now, there's a, a level permitted in the regulations there, but in the POEO, it says no asbestos, and the and which I think is a drafting error myself. Um, because the EPA has determined that to mean zero, but you cannot measure zero. We can only measure down to a certain level. Below that level, we've got no idea what's there. So this concept of there being no asbestos, it's an absurdity, really. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the absurdity of the absolute zero level in the in the POEO Act it was actually taken to court in the Graffel case. Graffel, the EPA versus Graffel. Yes. Now, the judge, and I think it was a lady actually, she yes, initially applied uh, a risk management, risk assessment approach because essentially when does 60,000 tonnes of recycled crushed concrete and become 60,000 tonnes of asbestos-contaminated recycled crushed concrete? Now, she took the view that it should be based on risk. If there's sufficient asbestos in it and it's in a form that it can pose a measurable risk, then it's asbestos waste. Because the asbestos was present in such small quantities, it should not be classified as asbestos waste. Now, EPA appealed that decision, and they won on appeal on the basis, as I understand, legislation says no asbestos and no means zero. That has done immeasurable damage to the recycling industry. Well, I sign, I sign waste classification reports every week. Every time I don't classify something as asbestos waste, I am very much aware of that I'm signing off a, a wrong report, strictly speaking, right? Now, I, I would argue that the judge in that, in that appeals court was just simply not qualified to make a call like that, right? I'd agree with that, yes. Yeah, um, was probably doing the right thing legally but in reality, this is impossible. Phil, you, you would know, um, what's the background level of asbestos fibers roughly around Sydney or in, in anywhere, basically? Thank you for bringing that up. Now, the interesting 
uh, point about that is that we are all inhaling asbestos fibres every breath we take every day of our life. I think you inhale somewhere in the order of about 1 million fibres per year. Over a, over a lifetime, 70 to 80 million fibres you inhale that stay in your lungs. Now, and I'm going to wander into the absurd here. Does that mean that when the person dies, they've got asbestos fibres in their lungs? Does that make them asbestos-contaminated waste? If you go to the literal assessment of the, the act, it does. And we all know that that's an utter absurdity, but that is, in reality, what they're saying. Now, we, if we go back to our 60,000 tonnes of recycled crushed concrete that's got minute, you know, vanishingly small quantities of asbestos in it, the level of risk associated with exposure to crystalline silica would outstrip the level of the risk of exposure to asbestos you know, 10 to the 12 times. And this well, is part of my issue with it, um, <clears throat> is that we focus so much on one particular thing that we blind ourselves to everything else. And I think yes. that, you know, we're, we're, we get so you know, worked up about this this issue that really doesn't present a massive risk that we, yeah, we're blind to things like silica. And it's the same with other contaminants where, you know, where there's, there should be more activity and it's just not because we're so, the, the reason, there's limited resources and they're so dedicated to this one particular thing. I think the messaging uh, in the media is wrong. We've been putting up posts. We've been uh, onto the ABC trying to get a balanced message out there about risk. There is no discussion about risk. All they're talking about is contamination. I don't think either regulator, the EPA or Safe Work New South Wales, has shown any real leadership on this issue and coming out talking about risk. All they're talking about is you have to strip all the mulch off the sites because we've identified a, a vanishingly small quantity of asbestos in it. There's no measurable risk. There's no benefit to the community. And I don't know how much this is going to cost, but it's going to cost an awful lot of money. The money be better spent elsewhere. I kept thinking about all this. Um, your comments ring so true. The, the, the lack of leadership from the EPA and from Safe Work, who never shy back from commenting on asbestos-related issues. See Graffel case. They don't shy away from being um, being right on top of it. Safe Work, neither. Okay, those two. There's an, a miserable failure of stepping up and saying, "Yes, ladies and gentlemen of Sydney, there is asbestos in the mulch. Should it be there?" No. Is it there? Yes. Is there a danger to it? Do you need to worry? Do we need to shut down schools? Absolutely no. not. So here we are, however. Oh, oh, here's a good, here's a, here's a, a, a typical Gunnar rant. In a park down near Moore Park, I think it was, they found, they found a couple of fragments of bonded asbestos. So the Mardi Gras <laughs> gets shut down. So this is, this is an event where, I don't know, 80,000 people go to get drunk, basically. Um, Similarly, like the legal and, yeah, and, and drugs. Right? So we're taking. They're, they're going there to take drugs to take an, a drug that is a known carcinogen, a drug that is that's causing between you know rough numbers two to three thousand deaths a year, and that's only the deaths, the agony and misery that it causes to the, the affected families is just immeasurable. And 
here it is. The, the Mardi Gras there it gets shut down because of a health problem or a health risk supposedly there because of a couple of fragments of asbestos. While we are completely and utterly ignoring the fact that we are totally happy and perfectly legally selling alcohol there, that people are smoking, there go another 22,000 deaths a year in Australia, and it gets all done perfectly okay, perfectly legally. In fact, our government is in on it via licensing and via taxes. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, guys, we need to stop drinking, outlaw um, smoking, outlaw vaping. I'm, I'm not that guy at all. But we need to get this into perspective. What is the greater health risk that we have at the moment? People drinking in bars or asbestos fragments in the mulch? We need to stop this nonsense. This is a, this is also a bit of a tangent, so I hope you don't mind, Phil. We, but Gunnar and I tend to do this, but I, I, th- I thought a lot about this, and I think you're 100 percent right, Gunnar. I think the big psychological factor in how people respond to risk and different kinds of risk, um, a lot of it comes down to choice. I think in those situations where people are choosing to drink or choosing to smoke, there's there's a much stronger acceptance of the risk that comes with that. I suppose um, you could claim that there was ignorance involved as well, but there's a choice made to accept that risk. Whereas I think with um, contamination and other similar issues like that, the risk is being forced onto somebody. And I think that's what immediately gets people to that psychological reaction of um, a defensiveness to saying something is being forced on me that I did not choose. I think that's a big part of the emotion that comes into it. Well, I think I'm... In, in addition to that, James, people are told the inhalation of one asbestos fibre, it's deadly, it will kill you. There is no safe level, it will kill you. I think, you know, we've just talked about, and I just I found the, the numbers while, while you were chatting, and that uh, it is uh, about 80 million fibres for a lifetime that you inhale. Now, despite this, the general population doesn't contract asbestos-related diseases in significant numbers. Uh, and the, the background rate of, of um, mesothelioma is less than one case per million population per year. And by comparison, uh, the death rate in 2008 for a 40-year-old male from all causes was 1,600 uh, people per million population. Look, one of the problems is that unless you are an engineer or, or you have a, a very, very strong science background the assessment of risk or the evaluation of risks is not something that is that comes easy to people. We saw that with the uh, COVID vaccines when when the, oh my God, I forgot, AstraZeneca one had this oh. vanishingly small risk associated of, of, what was it, blood clots? I, for, I forgot, my God, yes. how can I forget so fast? Yep. Yep. Was it blood? And they say, you know, one in... What was it? Was it three in a million? Whatever it was. These are vanishingly small numbers. The The contraceptive pill raises the, the level of blood clots by a factor of, I don't know, way, way, way above what the AstraZeneca did. Um, but these things are, are all emotional. And that I get back to what you said, Phil. The leadership was atrocious here. Two Days after this find in in Roselle, which initiated it all, uh, the EPA or Safe Work or someone else should have stood up and said, guys, nothing to see here. We need to address the root cause. We have spoken about the root cause of it on our 
previous podcast, James, that is something that needs to be addressed. We all agree. Do we now need to shovel thousands of tons of mulch into a licensed landfill where, yeah. if I may slightly add so, the EPA gets $145 of waste levy per ton into their coffers. Uh, do we have to do that? No, absolutely not. We don't have to do that. I also, and I got really mad, actually. I called James last Sunday. I said, James, you know, there is there is not only Safe Work and EPA who you can put into the government bucket, right? Fair enough. They have to be careful uh, if the minister or the premier or whoever comes along and says, don't you dare and say the wrong thing. So what usually then happens is they say nothing. But there are organizations like ALGA, the Australian Land and Groundwater Association, or the EIANZ, the Environmental Institute of Australia and New Zealand. They are big. They have they have members of all sorts of, of engineers, of all sorts of professionals. These guys know that there is nothing to see here. And both ALGA and EINZ have no qualms about being absolutely quiet on this. It is such a shame that nobody dares to stand up here. Uh, look, I, 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 look, it's it's too late to stop it now. The hysteria is out there. If the EPA, New South Wales, or Safe Work, or Health New South Wales come out and say, look, there's nothing to see here, guys, it won't be believed. Now, I know that uh, I, it's just unfortunate that they, they've let it get out of control like this. Now, I know the Faculty of Asbestos Assessment and Management um, has put out a statement to that effect, as has the Australian Institute of Occupational Hygienists. The other thing is that um, I, I now know, uh, well, I found out earlier this week, that the um, uh, CEO of EPA New South Wales, Mr Chappell, I can't think of his Christian name at the moment, but Mr Chappell has asked and been given a spot at the Fair Man's Conference at the beginning of March to talk about mm -hmm. Mulchgate. Uh, I christened it, Mul sorry, we christened it Mulchgate, not the EPA. So, um, but he's he's requested a spot and he's going to speak at the conference uh, on day one about asbestos contamination in mulch. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. And I can tell you, I'll be sitting front and centre with uh, my ready to stick my hand up and ask questions and make some comments. I was just going to say, I think that'll be really interesting because I think that, um, yeah, some, some of the responses in the past from the regulators in general, I guess, has been, it sort of seems to start from a point where there's an assumption that people are knowingly including asbestos in, in recycled products. And I think, you know, the more you get into it, the more you understand how, just how uh, prevalent the material is, just how difficult it is to get it, even if your processes are, you know, 100% the best that they can be, it's just not possible. And so things slip through it. We've got to be able to tell the difference between someone sort of with a more a malicious intent and somebody who is doing Look, the best they can. And that's just... I don't believe that amongst the, in the recycling industry, there's anybody with malicious intent. Look, yeah. I had a public discussion with an EPA gentleman at Alga Knight about this when, and challenged him over this business about people, if we set a limit, people will put asbestos in to dispose of it. There's no malicious intent in it. That was just nonsense. I was um, there. I was there. Uh, you were so good on that night. I remember well, that. Well, he, he also said that if we have a level of 0.01%, uh, then we'll have an extra X, I think it was four, mesotheliomas per year in Sydney. And I, starting next year, and I'm like, where, where did you get that data from? And he wouldn't answer. He couldn't answer. 
Now, I, I don't believe that there is any malicious intent. Nobody does this, but it is so damn difficult to try and stop the entrainment of very low quantities of asbestos getting into the feedstock in recycling plants. Now, I know we've done a lot of work with recyclers trying to develop procedures, and it is it inevitably small quantities make their way through even the most robust of checking procedures. What's the solution? So what we, I, I read the ALGA, again here, ALGA's position paper. You were a big part of that, Phil. Um, that didn't go very far. It was 2018. It's now 2024. Hasn't gone, has gone through two revisions, uh, but ultimately nothing has changed. James, you were part of, of a committee that tried to introduce slightly more realistic waste recovery orders or resource recovery orders. Yeah, that didn't go very far either, although it may be it's getting picked up again now. We spoke about that in the last episode. Had these two things been implemented, had the ALGA position paper been actually processed, not, I, I would argue none of this would have happened, right? Uh, had we had success with the recovery resource recovery orders that James was part of and an industry consortium was part of, I know, I think we wouldn't have had to deal with this now under such a panic. What has to change? I think they have to go back and have a rethink about the regulations. They've got to align the um, POEO Act with the, C the requirements in the CLM Act. We wrote a quite an extensive document for the EPA, I think it was in about 2018-19, on uh, resource recovery. We know that we were told that it made it as far as the minister's desk and slowly worked its way across the desk and fell into the waste paper basket because it proposed a number other than zero. Yeah, the, the, this, we've got the to get rid of this concept is... of zero. It 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 yeah. it cannot be measured, and, and and politicians don't understand that. <laughs> we have been talking how this is not really a risk. There is no no safe level. Let's agree with that. Okay, there is of course also no safe level for lead. Yet you have you have. 20 to 30 parts per million of lead in, in background soils. This is something that is accepted. There is not only a background level of asbestos around in our environment, but there is also in the CLM Act, when I as the contaminated site consultant go out, find asbestos, that doesn't necessarily mean anything yet. That's like me finding lead in a, in a soil sample. We need to soak what's the concentration. And when you the concentration we mentioned it before for the for bonded asbestos is zero point zero one percent of weight. That's roughly a kilo of bonded asbestos for every cubic meter of soil. That is a very much accepted safe level. I if you find and it's not one zero. Kilo, no, it is not zero. It's one kilo per cubic meter. That's one hundred, you know, matchbox sized asbestos fragments per cubic meter. Do we even come close to that level in a, in the mulch? Not no. even, not even close. No, right? they're, they're having so, difficulty finding it. Yeah, it, it, it's in such small quantities; it is really difficult to find. Solution you you mentioned to me before the microphone went on. It would be a good idea, probably, to have. First of all, I, the waste levy, if you ask me, the waste levy needs to be lifted not only for this incident now, but the waste levy needs to be lifted for asbestos waste um for totally domestic right. domestic, domestic yeah yeah i'd agree with so that if someone Absolutely. goes out and goes to the mardi gras and falls over drunk and sees a piece of asbestos lying in the mulch pick it up put it in a 
put it in, in a plastic bag if you happen to have one. And then what? At the moment, you're not allowed to do anything with it. You have to take it to a licensed landfill at a minimum charge of $75. And I can guarantee you that's not going to happen. If there are public disposal boxes around, maybe that would be an idea. I mean, we have them for, for needles and we have them for all sorts of things. Maybe that would be an idea where we say, hey, instead of spending millions and millions of dollars now in disposal fees, but carting this this mulch away, disposing it off at licensed facilities, let's spend a fraction of that money on a public relations campaign where we educate people and tell them really there's nothing wrong here. And if you see one of those, I don't know, give it a, it can't be red, give it a, it can't be green, these colors are taken, make it a purple or a deep blue uh, bin, you can put asbestos in there if if you find it. Um, the, the EPA had uh, proposed just that, to, uh, allowing householders to dispose of asbestos waste correctly wrapped up and labelled at no charge at um, disposal centres. The EPA would provide the bin for. I, I, yeah. For some reason, I don't think it ever got up, and I don't know why. No, it sort of just yeah. tailed off, didn't it? It didn't seem to... It died. Sure what happened to it? Um, but certainly don't hear anything about it now. I don't even know if that scheme's still running. It's not, as far as I'm aware. Okay, like, so the three of us could run New South Wales so much better than anyone else, together with all the cab drivers out there. We would be... Well, keep thinking be... that if we, if I was the dictator of Australia, there'd be lots of things that I'd do, but <laughs> differently, differently. <laughs> not necessarily better. <laughs> But look, just to, to to try and pull the threads of what we've been talking about together, you know, asbestos. No, nobody would 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 argue that it hasn't that it's been the 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 worst industrial tragedy of the twentieth century, and it's killed lots and lots and lots of people, needlessly. And nobody would argue that better management of asbestos, in, in its broadest context, uh, is not required. The lack of context on what and how much asbestos has been found in the mulch uh, and, and any assessment of risk is causing really unnecessary alarm across the community. And, and additionally, there's just there is no benefit to society uh, in removing mulch that contains vanishingly small quantities of bonded asbestos contamination that doesn't pose a measurable risk to the community. As I said before, the money is better spent elsewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Phil. I mean, I, I also um, have concerns about the longer-term impacts on the recycling sector as a whole. You know, we used to frame things in the sense of um, renewable resources, right? But now we sort of frame things in the context of climate change. And I just think of the the massive climate impact and the massive carbon impact of, you know, replacing recycled materials with virgin products, you know, all of the issues associated with sending things like mulch, especially to landfill where it breaks down and creates methane, this isn't being taken into account. And that in itself, I think, is a much larger issue than the very, very small acute issue on these individual sites. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what the effect is going to be on the recycling sector, but I definitely am pretty worried about it. How much diesel are they going to burn trucking this stuff across Sydney and disposing of it at a landfill? You know? And how well, many parents are senselessly worried now about yeah. their children? Well, a lot. There's no need. And it's unnecessary. Bill, you have shown why you are considered an OH&S rock star. Thank you so much for coming on for the second time, I may add. Oh, God, the first time I, I'm 
I managed to not, to not record Phil's voice. So thank yeah. you for doing it for the second time, Phil. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Bye. See you, mate. And now it's a few days afterwards, after the after we've spoken to Phil. I haven't, of course, had the luxury of listening to it during post-processing and cutting. And so there's a few things that stood out for me. Did you, what's the most memorable thing for you? There was a couple of things for me, but I think the first one I wanted to mention was around the lack of air monitoring during this whole process. So that complete uh, absence of any discussion about respiratory fibers and air monitoring, which is the pathway that where asbestos is dangerous. Um, it's just not being done. It's not part of the conversation. I'm really surprised that it's missing. Yeah, that's a shocker if you think yeah. about it. And it is, the, the EPA has been doing some good communication around this, but I think it is a failure on the part of the regulators that it's not part of the discussion. Yes. Um, we've been hard on the on the regulators. Yeah. Um, Phil mentioned that's something that stood out to me. He mentioned that the Faculty of Australian Asbestos, of Asbestos Management in Australia and also the Australian Institute of Occupational Hygienists have supposedly released statements. I couldn't find the one for the uh, Faculty of Asbestos Management, but I definitely saw Jeremy Trotman's post for uh, from the Australian Institute of Occupational Hygienists. Hey, good on them for stepping up. Yeah. Well done. That's all I can say. EIANZ and ALGA, all right, get your act together here. Yeah. Say something. Here's an, an, a shout out for Liverpool Council. I know that Liverpool Council, not too long ago, has done some great research into asbestos in soil mm. and also into uh, fiber release as a result of asbestos in soil. Yeah, right. I have, uh, Anna Sierra is the one who did the research. I have uh, reached out to her and I so hope that we can get her on the show. Yeah, that'd be great. It's um, Liverpool Council. Come on, you've done great work. Stand in the limelight and talk about it. It's mm. it, it's it's well done. I'm you know, they're all easy to back councils, but but in this case, you need to come out and show show your leadership there. What yeah. else did stand out for you? The other thing that I wanted to mention was the point around, I think what's coined sustainable remediation, which is this concept that we need to weigh up the uh, pros and cons of acute impacts that might exist, like at a site, versus the broader. Um, pros and cons around you know c carbon intensity of the remediation and that sort of thing if we all accept that climate change is the biggest environmental risk that we deal with which it is mm -hmm. um, we do need to do everything in the context of contribution to climate change and carbon emissions so yes I mean, if we start carting uh, like thousands, thousands of tons of mulch around yes we're going we're going backwards environmentally yeah. no question absolutely and then think of all of the virgin forest that needs to be cut down to replace that mulch it's just when you really start thinking about the life cycle you realize that we're talking hundreds of thousands of tons of carbon that will be emitted to, to deal with this very minor issue yeah in fact i hadn't even thought of that but you're you're absolutely right you um one thing the alcohol the alcohol in the i like i like that one yeah that was a really good i think example for you guys. the the public piss up with <laughs> with the Mardi Gras. Um, you mentioned that, yeah, the risk perspective of the public is, you know, they don't necessarily, you could argue, hey, people are, they are drinking voluntarily mm -hmm. and getting themselves to a certain amount of uh, risk or exposing themselves to some risk, mm -hmm. while asbestos they are exposed to um, 
not voluntarily, and that's just put them top on um, that it's placed on them. Yeah. Now, and I mentioned it in the podcast, but I want to say one more one more time, right? Yes, the the victims, the direct victims of alcohol are the ones who drink. Mm. And it's about 2,000 to 3,000 people a year who die. Mm. But I would say there is an, a factor of 10 higher than that of the actual victims yeah. of the families, the friends, yeah. and acquaintances. Yeah, you're right. Um, and they are not being asked whether yeah. this is okay or not. Yeah. They are yeah, thrown into right. this without being asked just as much as you are being thrown into a health crisis with asbestos, which we discussed isn't really a health crisis. Mm. So that's something I wanted to definitely make sure. And I am, again, not the one to say we need to stop drinking. That's not, that is not what I'm saying. Yeah. There needs to be some perspective. Absolutely. To it. Okay. That was it. Let's round it up. It was, it was a good one. And yeah, it was a giant chat. Thank you so much. And let's see who is going to be next. We should have good podcasts. should always have, um, I think, five episodes up their sleeve. Up your sleeve, yeah. How many have we got? Um, zero. Uh, yes, <laughs> currently zero. I'm sure we'll do something about that very soon. Well, <laughs> uh, um, look, I'm having fun. I hope you do too. Yeah, love it. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Bye.